tonight's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, and Psalm 18, verse 3. As it says up there, it is from the English Standard Version. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Psalm 18, verse 3. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. This is the word of the Lord. Quite a number of years ago, I finished teaching. Um, uh, I don't even remember what the subject of the course was. It was a Bible class at a church. Uh, and somewhere in the course of the teaching, I had said something to the effect of, uh, of that it's important to worship the Holy Spirit. And a, a lady came up afterwards, a very kind lady, and she gently corrected me, and she said, um, the Holy Spirit does not exist to draw attention to himself. His purpose is to glorify Christ, and we should not pray to or worship the Holy Spirit. Is she right? Well, much teaching on the Holy Spirit rightly stresses the Spirit's role in helping us worship. Jesus does say when he's praying in John 16, he says that when he sends the Spirit, the Spirit will glorify him. Jesus talks to the woman at the well and he says uh, that one day the, she'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Paul says in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit prays through us and in Galatians 4 that the Holy Spirit helps us praise the Father and cry, Abba, Father. So the idea, and we've talked about this, that there are different roles in the Trinity, and the Spirit's role is uh, to glorify the Father, to honor the Father, to praise the Father and the Son, is certainly biblical. And one of the ways it's often uh, described is, is like this, that, that uh, if you see a great cathedral, uh, and then there's a spotlight focusing on the great cathedral, uh, the purpose of the spotlight is to get you to look at the cathedral and not the spotlight. And in that metaphor, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is the spotlight. And there is a lot of truth in that metaphor, but there's a problem with it. And I guess there's a problem with all metaphors about the Trinity, right? But the problem is this. In that metaphor, the cathedral is priceless. The cathedral is worth billions of dollars, and the spotlight's worth thousand bucks. So in that metaphor, the spotlight is clearly not as valuable as the cathedral. And I point that out because often in the way Christians think about the members of the Trinity, there is this subtle uh, misbelief that many of us have that the Holy Spirit is kind of like the unpaid intern in the Trinity. Um, he gets coffee he uh, runs errands. He's not yet made partner. Um, but the early Christians did not feel that way at all. Uh, 
They worship the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Nicene Fathers reflect this in the third line of the Creed that we've been looking at. If we could put that up there, this is the line about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified. Now, if you're a guest here, we're going line by line through the Nicene Creed, because that's our only doctrinal statement. We're a church with a great deal of theological diversity, and our common belief in the Creed is what holds us together. And and this is how we approach doctrine at All Souls. All Souls wants to be a church where Christians who disagree about important questions of biblical interpretation can live together in loving unity. We strive towards this vision by affirming the Nicene Creed while respecting, challenging, and learning from our brothers and sisters who interpret the Bible differently on non-creedal issues. And sometimes we call that consensual orthodoxy. Now, the Nicene Creed calls us to worship the Holy Spirit along with the Father and Son. And so what I want to ask tonight is, what are you affirming when you say that you worship the Father, worship the Spirit along with the Father and the Son? And I don't know about you, I have found uh, this study of the Creed very, very rich and meaningful. I, I'm often, though, struck by the fact that the words that the Creed uses in the churches recited uh, sometimes are no longer in use. For example, the word worship. Outside of church, we don't use that language very much. Uh, it's become archaic. Uh, it literally means to bow the knee. Uh, if you've seen any of the PBS shows about the Middle Ages, uh, whenever the king walks into the room, everybody immediately bows the knee. Why did they do that? Because of the medieval mind, as well as actually most pre-modern cultures, understood life to have woven into it a great chain of being. They actually call it that, the great chain of being. And the idea was that you had God on the top, God gave the king, and then beneath the king were princes and nobles, beneath the nobles, you know, uh, knights, and then all the way down to, to serfs and pro bowlers, or whoever was on the bottom. I don't know whoever's on the bottom, but you get the idea that there was a clear ranking system, and medieval people knew exactly where they were in the great chain of being, and you would worship, the old word was worth-ship, you would declare that whoever was above you was worthy. And of course, God demanded ultimate worship. Now, we don't believe in the latter idea anymore, and, and for good reason. We believe that everybody's created equal. Uh, now, when a, a president walks into the room, we're more concerned, frankly, that the Secret Service protected from getting shot than we are that someone fall on their face and worship him. We don't think that way anymore. So, does the idea of worship still make sense? See, this is really one of the questions you have to ask, and one of the reasons I'm going through this series so slowly is to give you a chance to step back and see if you really believe this stuff. And, and one of the things that you have to ask as a Christian is, or as someone considering becoming a Christian, is, is there someone greater than me who I will worship? 
Now, a lot of people have decided that there, there really isn't. Uh, there, there was an ad on NPR this week for the, a, a discussion this afternoon with the rationalists of East Tennessee about the implications of atheism. And I think it was at Pellissippi, and sometime I'd love to go. I'm fascinated with that, with that subject. And one of the things that I doubt happened at the beginning was a, a time of praise and worship. Um, why? Because in that worldview, there's no one there to praise and worship. So you wouldn't do it. So one of the things all of us have to decide is whether or not we believe there is someone greater than us who we will worship. And of course, Christians believe that there is. We believe that there is a being vastly greater than us who we will fall on our knees before, who we will surrender for. One of the words in the Bible for worship is service, who we will serve, who we will yield to, who we will follow, who we will give ultimate control over our life. All of those words are bound up in what it means to worship. And the Christian story says, yes, and we, we call him God. Now, worship is our response to the character and attributes of God. The psalmist exhorts, Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do His name. His name is His character. In other words, God is so great that we, we, we are bound, if we know Him, to worship Him. It's do His name. His character demands that we praise Him. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, one psalm calls out. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. He is our God. We are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. St. John had a terrifying, tremendous vision of worship one Sunday on the island of Patmos when he was living in exile. And in this vision, which you can find in Revelation 4, day and night, these Four living creatures never stop praising God. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And as these four creatures incessantly circle the throne of God in praise, 24 elders fall on their faces before God, and they sing, worship and bless him who lives forever and ever. So Christians, one of the things that you're affirming when you, when you affirm this line of the creed is that you believe that there is a person greater than you. His name is God. His character and his works in history evoke from you awe, mystery, wonder, reverence, fear, and a desire to worship him. That's why we worship. Now, Scripture commands us to worship him because God knows that our hearts are prone to worship false gods. See, this is a Christian way of thinking about it. I'm sure the secularists of East Tennessee would disagree, but the way what we would say is you can't help but not worship. You may not call it worship, but you are worshiping something. It might be your body, it might be Taylor Swift. You're worshiping something, you can't help it. Dostoevsky and Brothers Karamazov says, So long as a man remains free, 
he strives for nothing so incessantly and so painfully as to find someone to worship. <laughs> and so one of the things that, that, that we come to church for, one of the reasons we, we come together and we worship is to remind ourselves that we were created to worship Him. And left to ourselves, that won't naturally be where we go. We will worship lesser gods. So the psalmist cries out, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Jesus reminds the devil, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. God commands us to worship. Because we'll... He knows we'll worship fallen gods if we don't. Now back to the question the the nice lady asked me after I taught. Is it appropriate, though, to worship the Holy Spirit? The early Christians thought so. Gregory of Nyssa, a church father, put it like this. In worshiping any of the three, we worship the one. Follow his argument? The reason why it's appropriate to worship and praise and pray to the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is fully divine. More recently, Millard Erickson, a contemporary theologian, wrote this. He said, The Holy Spirit being fully divine is to be accorded the same honor and respect we give the Father and the Son. It is appropriate to worship Him as we do them. He should not be thought of as in any sense inferior in essence to them, although his role may sometimes be subordinate to theirs. And the hymns of the early church are filled with praise to the Father, Son, and Spirit. Here's one example. We sing a hymn to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy at all times to be praised with pure voices. The prayers of the early church are often addressed to the Spirit as well. One of the most famous is from St. Ambrose. It's, it's called Veni Creator Spiritus, or Come Creator Spirit. I'll read just a line or two. Come Creator Spirit, visit the souls of your children and fill with heavenly grace the hearts that you have made. You are called the paraclete, the highest gift of God, living fountain, fire, love, spiritual anointing, You are sevenfold in your gifts, the finger of the Father's right hand. Grant that through you we may know the Father through the Son and maybe forever believe in you, the spirit of them both. You know, these are wonderful devotional prayers to just go through line by line if you're looking for a way to nurture your worship of the Spirit. And then, of course, what we prayed tonight The doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above all heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So with the early church, we worship the Father, we worship the Son, we worship the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean practically? Well, one way that we worship God is by recalling his attributes, his great deeds, his works. I I remember in seminary, I was on staff at a a small church, and Pastor Allen discipled me, and I went into his office one day, and I said, I said, Pastor, I'm really feeling dry spiritually. And he went to his bookshelf, and he pulled off this massive 
purple book uh, and handed it to me. And he said, go find a quiet place in the library and uh, spend an hour slowly reading through this. And the book was uh, by a Puritan named Stephen Charnock. It was called The Existence and Attributes of God. And it was a series of sermons that he gave uh, to his congregation in 1680 before he died. And I would sit there and just slowly, line by line, work my way through these very meaty discussions, teachings on God's character. And I, I found it expanding my soul. I found it helping me fall in love with God again. And over the years, I've, I've gone back. I've lost my copy, and it's out of print, and it's very expensive. But over the years, I've gone back to that book. So one of the ways to worship is to recall the attributes of God. Uh, the Father, another way is to recall the attributes of God the Son. Uh, there's a book in my library by John Stott called The Cross of Christ. Uh, I've got dozens of books on the cross and on Christ, but for some reason I go back to this one year after year, and I read through it, and as I read about the cross and what he did on the cross. It just expands my heart and calls forth worship. But until this week, I've never done that with the Holy Spirit. Have you? I've often done it with the Father, often done it with the Son, but I've never called to mind the attributes of the Holy Spirit, the person and works of the Holy Spirit, and praised him and thanked him for that. And I came across uh, a prayer, an extended prayer, doing just that this week, and I prayed it several times, and, and, and found it leading me into a, a much richer awe and reverence for the Spirit's person and work. And so I want to end tonight by inviting you into that prayer. And I've asked three of our members uh, to come up, and if you all would come up now, um, Lynn and Jennifer and Bobby. And they are going to uh, read and lead us through this prayer. And what I want you to do is silently to participate uh, as much as you can. This will, this will be the end of the sermon. This will take about 15 minutes. Um, and then we will have a, a common prayer together. I'm going to pray as they come up. Holy Spirit, we, we're a little new at this. Um, we're probably more comfortable with you shining the spotlight on the Father and Son, and maybe that's the biblical pattern most of the time, but you're God, and we love you, we're in awe of you, we depend upon you. We worship you. So somehow in your providence, even as we worship you, we worship you by the Spirit. So please, fill us now as a congregation, as we do what probably most of us have never done before, reflect on your attributes and give you praise. Holy Spirit, you are God. 1 John 5, 7. So there are three witnesses in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. 
I would be ungodly and godless without you. Holy Spirit, you are my comforter. John 14, 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. I would be devastated by the pain of this world without you. Holy Spirit, you are my helper. John fourteen twenty six. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. I would be helpless without you. Holy Spirit, you are my parakletos. The one who stands by, John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the parakletos as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I would be alone and defenseless without you. Holy Spirit, you are the wind of heaven. Acts 2, 1 through 3. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. I would succumb to this arid wilderness of sin without you. Holy Spirit, you are the breath of God. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And also John 20, 22. Then he breathed on them, being his disciples, and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I would die of spiritual asphyxiation without you. Holy Spirit, you are rivers of living water. John seven thirty eight. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. My inner being would be a cracked, dry, empty riverbed without you. Holy Spirit, you are the oil of joy and the oil of gladness. Psalm 45, 7. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. From Isaiah 61.3 And provide for those who grieve in Zion To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes The oil of joy instead of mourning And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair They will be called oaks of righteousness A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor I would sink into the depths of depression Without your presence in my heart Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth. 
John 15:26. But I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. I would be utterly deceived by this world without your presence inspiring my mind. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians 4.13 It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. I would be in a prison of unbelief without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of life. Romans 8, 1 through 2. The Holy Spirit will give you life that comes from Christ Jesus and will set you free from sin and death. I would be overwhelmed by the law of sin and death without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of holiness. Romans 1, 4. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I would be eternally contaminated by sin without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of love. Second Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I would be utterly bound by cords of anger, hatred, resentment, and fear without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of power. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I would not survive the mental pressure of this world without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 God's spirit doesn't make cowards out of us. The Spirit gives us power, love, and self-control. I would be overtaken by weakness without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Isaiah eleven two, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. I would make so many foolish choices without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of counsel and might. Isaiah 11:2. Rested on him hath the spirit of Jehovah, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of Jehovah. I would be oblivious to my purpose and powerless to fulfill it without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of knowledge. Isaiah 11, 2. 
And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I would be so ignorant of the things of God without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11.2 The life-giving spirit of God will hover over him. The spirit that brings wisdom and understanding. The spirit that gives direction and builds strength. The spirit that instills knowledge and fear of God. I would be so lacking in reverence to you toward God without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Ephesians 1, 17. I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you his spirit. The spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. I would never be able to understand the mysteries of God's kingdom without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of adoption. Romans eight fifteen. Only those people who are led by God's Spirit are His children. God's Spirit doesn't make us slaves who are afraid of Him. Instead, we become His children and call Him our Father. God's Spirit makes us sure that we are His children. I would have never become a son of God had you not regenerated my spirit. Holy Spirit, you are the Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this is the message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. I would have never seen the promises of God fulfilled in my life without you. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of glory, the Shekinah. 1 Peter 4:14. If you are censured and suffer abuse because you bear the name of Christ, blessed are you, happy, fortunate, to be envied with life and joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of your outward condition. Because the spirit of glory, the spirit of God, is resting upon you. I would have never known the manifest presence of God had you not come. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of judgment. Isaiah 4, 4. The Lord will wash the filth from beautiful Zion and cleanse Jerusalem of its bloodstains with the hot breath of fiery judgment. I would have never been able to identify evil without your discernment. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of burning. Isaiah 4, 4. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. 
I would have been cold towards the things of God had you not consumed my heart with your consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19, 10, then I fell prostrate at his feet to worship, to pay divine honors to him, but he restrained me and said, refrain, I am only another servant with you and your brethren who have accepted and hold the testimony borne by Jesus. Worship God, for the substance of the truth revealed by Jesus is the spirit of all prophecy, the vital breath, the inspiration of all inspired preaching and interpretation of the divine will and purpose, including both mine and yours. I would not be able to testify of my expectations of Jesus without you. Holy Spirit, you are the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Messiah, and the anointing that destroys the yoke. 1 Peter 1.11 Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. In Isaiah 10.27 And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy back, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. I would still be spiritually bound had you not set me free. Holy Spirit, you are the seal of the living God. Ephesians 1, 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Revelation 7, 2. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. I would have surely slipped back into darkness without your preserving grip. Holy Spirit, you are the guarantee of my inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I would not have blessed assurance of eternal salvation without your abiding grace. Holy Spirit, you are the eternal spirit. Hebrews 9, 14. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. I would have never broken free from the imprisoning walls of time without your liberating power. Holy Spirit, You are the spirit of grace. Zechariah 12.10 
Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. I would never been recovered from my degraded state had you not rescued me through unearned favor and unmerited love. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of supplication. Zechariah 12.10 And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. I would have never been able to pray this prayer successfully or find real communion with God today had you not reconciled me to my heavenly Father and granted me access into his eternal throne room.